After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is God's word for us today. Thanks, Susan. Uh, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Wingfoot Church. Uh, my name is John. It's good to have you here. Uh, wherever you're coming from this morning, uh, a lot of y'all are a little sun-kissed this morning, so praise God for 80 degrees, right? 
Uh, I wanted to just uh, begin this morning by saying a quick thank you uh, to lots of you who are involved in and engaged in uh, the way that we were able to bless our neighbors and work alongside our neighbors over the past couple weeks. Uh, whether that was the Easter egg hunt a couple weeks ago that we did with uh, Akron Parks and Rec and Heart for the City. Uh, a lot of you donated some gifts and some prizes. That was a really incredible event. 200 or so kids were just swarming the park, even though it was snowy. Uh, that was only two weeks ago. That's crazy to think about. Uh, then yesterday, uh, a bunch of us showed up and uh, helped clean up Newton Street, uh, caring for our neighborhood in a way that uh, our neighbors really care about. Uh, and they organized it. We were just able to kind of rally around them. So thanks for being a part of uh, the everyday stuff of how we are renewing hope in the heights in Jesus' name. Uh, by coming alongside folks and uh, in the name of Jesus, blessing our neighbors and blessing our neighborhood. So thanks for being a part of that. Uh, I want to, this morning, just ask you this question. Uh, when was the last time that you failed? And like failed, maybe in a big way, maybe in a small way, like maybe you forgot the milk uh, at the grocery store, but uh, maybe it wasn't that big of a deal, but, but when did you like blow it? Uh, and maybe you are not one of those people. Maybe you always win, right? And that's kind of your theme song is uh, all I do is win. Uh, maybe that's you. Uh, if so, like, let's swap places because I want to learn a few things from you. Like, like failure happens a lot. Right? We, we tend to fail in big ways, in small ways, a lot. And oftentimes we try to avoid like, opportunities where we could fail. And so we become very guarded and very safe and very protected. And, and the world we live in right now is really interesting because if you fail, like, someone's probably catching it on video. Right? Or someone's able to like screenshot the evidence and, and maybe we watch funny videos of like fails on YouTube, but, but failure is a really kind of scary thing. Uh, I was thinking about this week, the time that I felt most like a failure uh, was my freshman year in college. Uh, I had, uh, in my sophomore and junior year in high school, I had uh, sensed maybe this call to be a pastor. Uh, and it was kind of the family business, so it was kind of wrapped up in that as well. And so I applied to a couple of schools, and I ended up uh, getting accepted to this uh, little Bible college. Uh, and it was where my parents met, uh, incidentally enough. And so I thought, okay, great, I'm going to go to this Bible college. I'm going to go be a pastor. And that's a really weird thing to tell your like, friends at public school, like, they're all going to like OSU or Case, and I'm like, I'm going to Bible college, and they look at you like you're a little strange. Uh, but between the end of my junior year and the end of my senior year, uh, I was in a very different place spiritually. Uh, if, if, we, if it was today, we would call it deconstruction, but like at that time, I was asking some really significant questions, right? Like, what do I actually believe, and why do I actually believe it? And I kind of found a group of friends who asked similar questions along with me and sort of pulled away from some church friends, and, and by the end of my senior year, I was still going to this Bible college, but I wasn't even sure if I believed in God anymore. Uh, but I was too afraid to admit that to people, uh, I was too afraid to admit that maybe I was in a different place, and so I went to Bible college anyways. In my first semester of Bible college, all of the, every, you know, everything is about being a pastor there, and so you go to chapel, and you go to Bible classes, and you're in prayer groups, and, and about halfway through that semester, I realized, I can't do this. Like, I can't keep faking this, right? I was there in body, but my head, my mind, my spirit were somewhere else. Like, maybe that's you this morning, I'm in church, but like everything else is a different direction. And so finally I called my parents and said, I need to come home. And so I came home. Uh, and the first couple of weeks coming home aren't that bad because everyone was home from school, and so you kind of catch up with everyone, and no one thinks twice about it. But that, that week came where everyone went back to school except for me. And that weekend, people were like, oh, what are you doing back? And I had to kind of admit that I wasn't going back. 
that, I, that I wasn't going back to Bible college, and, and I wasn't going to be a pastor, and I wasn't going to do all of these things, and, and I felt really ashamed, because right? that's what failure does. When you fail, it's, it's not just regret, like, oh man, I wish I had done something differently, but then there's like this shame where like, I let people down, uh, and maybe I should have done things differently, and and so in that space, what did I do? I, I pulled back and I kind of just like, I benched myself for a little bit. You know what I mean by that? Like you just kind of like sit. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to let other people do it. I'm going to let other people move forward. I'm just going to kind of fade into the background, fade into the woodwork. That's what we do when we fail. Right? We assume that there are other people and better people who can do it. And so I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to just let everyone else go. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you failed in a significant kind of way. Maybe Maybe you feel like your marriage has failed. And so you kind of sit back and maybe you're here in church and you've got a nice face on, but like everything else is just awful. So you assume other people need to do it. Uh, maybe you, you failed, like maybe you struggle with addiction. Right? You've kind of ridden the roller coaster of recovery and relapse and recovery and relapse. And, and so you feel like, okay, I'm a failure. I need to just kind of sit back and, and, and I don't want people to know. I don't want people to see. And so I'm just going to kind of sit back and hide. When we fail, this is what we want to do. We want to pull back and assume there's other people or better people or stronger people or smarter people than me who can do it, but I'm just going to sit on the bench. That's exactly where Peter is this morning. Peter is sitting on the bench. He has assumed, he has felt like he is a failure. And so where do we find him? We find him sitting on the bench. See, here's the thing. Uh, we started this series last week called Made Alive, and we're, we're looking at people who, before they meet Jesus, uh, they were lost, they were confused, they had reputations, they had failures, they had all this stuff that was following them. But when they meet Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, it changes their life forever. They realize that before they knew Jesus, it was like they were dead. But now that they know Jesus, he has made them alive, he has forgiven them, and he has given them a fresh start in life. That's what we saw with Thomas last week. Thomas asked the totally reasonable question of, I'm not going to believe Jesus is alive until I touch him. We would all ask that question. But once he saw it, once he saw Jesus, it changed his life forever. Now here's the thing. Thomas and Peter were in the same room together. In fact, Peter was one of the first ones to go to the tomb. He, he ran out to see what had happened. He had seen the evidence of the resurrection. He had experienced Jesus in that room. He had heard Jesus say, I'm sending you out to go tell people about me. And yet, where is Peter in chapter 21? He says, I'm going fishing. Now, some of you, you'd say, that's exactly how you celebrate the resurrection. Right? I'm, gonna, I'm going fishing, right? But not Peter. Peter is going fishing even after he's been commissioned by Jesus. He's going fishing even after he's seen the resurrection power of Jesus. You see, fishing was Peter's trade. It was what he did before he met Jesus. In fact, it's really where he met Jesus for the first time in a really significant kind of way was they were on a boat and Jesus was there and he said, cast your net over to the side. And, and just like this scene, they caught a ton of fish. And that's when Peter knew Jesus was something unlike anything he had ever encountered. There was something to Jesus. And so for three years, he gave his life to following Jesus. But here's the thing about Peter. He always wanted to be the best. He always wanted to excel. He always wanted to get better. Like if, if Jesus and Peter were around right now, like Peter would be signing Jesus up for an Instagram account or a TikTok. He says, you need to get influential, Jesus. You need to, you need to make uh, an impact. And so he was always trying to help Jesus get better. He was always trying to be the best. 
In fact, the night before Jesus was betrayed, Jesus started to talk about how he was going to die. And, and in a room full of disciples, Peter stood up and said, if you're dying, then I'm dying with you. I'm going with you. But just a few hours after that, Peter denies Jesus three times. Three times he has the opportunity to make good on his word, to die with Jesus. And three times he says no. You see, Peter has failed. And so when Jesus rises from the dead, he, he hears about it, he celebrates it, but he's going fishing because he assumes that the mission of Jesus has moved on. That what Jesus wants to do has moved past him, and he's now just in the dust watching it go because he's failed. And maybe that's how you feel. You feel like, man, the, the stuff that I have in my past, maybe even the struggle that I have in my present, right? the, the things that I have going on, like Jesus could never use me. He wants to use other people, people who have their life together, people who've got things going for them, people who are smarter than me or stronger than me. He wants to use them, but not me because I'm still struggling. And look at what Jesus does. Right? Peter says, I'm going fishing, and all the other disciples say, we're going with you. And that's how much of a leader Peter was. Even in his discouragement, even in his struggle, he says, I'm going fishing. Everyone's like, well, Peter's going, I guess we should. And so they go fishing, and Jesus appears to them, and, and they can't quite make out that it's him because he's about a football field away. Right? They're kind of out in the middle of the lake, and so they, they sense that there's something there. They listen to this guy's instructions on fishing, and they draw on a whole catch of fish. This directly echoes the first time that Peter encountered the power of Jesus in Luke chapter 5. And so Peter knows there's something here. He knows that this is Jesus. And so being Peter, he jumps into the water. He swims to Jesus. And what does he find? Verse 9 says this, When they got out on land, they saw a char charcoal fire in place. Now that might seem like a really insignificant detail. Uh, but there's no insignificant details in John's story. Everything that he writes, he writes on purpose. You see, the last time that Peter was around a charcoal fire was the night that he betrayed Jesus. And you know how, like, even, like, smell and memory are super attached? Right? Like, yesterday I was smelling uh, mowing the lawn, right? And all of a sudden it felt like summer, right? And all of a sudden I felt regret because now I have to mow the lawn. But... <laughs> But that, that smell, like smell, like maybe there's a recipe in your family that like takes you back to your childhood, right? Or, or there's that perfume that like your wife uh, wore on her wedding day and, and like, that, man, it just like it brings you back into that space. You see, Jesus built this charcoal fire and he wants to meet Peter around it. In a sense, he's, he's inviting Peter to, to enter into that place of failure, to enter into that place of shame and guilt and to allow Jesus to meet him there. And so they sit and they eat and there's this kind of awkward, like they know that it's Jesus, but they're not sure what to do. And you can almost imagine like Peter's kind of sitting off on the side because, because he, this is the first time he's really kind of maybe had this close encounter with Jesus and Jesus pulls Peter aside and he wants to talk to him. And you can imagine, he's got all these memories, he's got all this guilt, all this shame, because the charcoal is bringing back to that moment of his greatest failure. And what does Jesus say? It says in verse 13, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the third time, Peter's grieved. The third time he feels this 
sadness, the weight of it. It's as if the third time he begins to realize what's happening. You see, as Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus three times invites Peter back into knowing him and loving him and following him, that his failure was not going to keep him from knowing Jesus. That Jesus wanted him even in spite of his failure, and he was going to make it possible so that he could know him again. And each time, Peter says, yes, 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 I love you. And what does Jesus say? Follow me. Feed my lambs. Be part of my mission. Be part of the thing that I'm doing. You see, this is what Peter realizes. This is what Jesus is teaching him, is that that failure does not disqualify you from following Jesus. And no matter what the failure is, no matter what the failure was, you failing does not disqualify you from the mission of Jesus and what he wants to do in your life. Because Peter failed and he failed epically. And yet what is Jesus doing? He's tenderly, lovingly pulling Peter back in. You see, why is that true? Why is it that failure doesn't disqualify us from following Jesus? Because success does not qualify you to follow Jesus. Right? Like, like we, I, you know, Peter was all about success. He's all about getting better and improving and growing and, and getting a larger uh, movement of Jesus. And then when he fails, he assumes that he blew it. He assumed that Jesus wants successful people. He wants good, perfect people to follow him. And so when he blows it, he assumes the mission of Jesus has moved on. But what he's discovering is this, is that failure does not disqualify you from following Jesus because success never qualified you in the first place. You see, I think we tend to think that Jesus is kind of like picking teams. Like put yourself back in that middle school space. Uh, Maybe you were the guy who got picked first. I was never that guy. But but like in that moment, we we think, okay, who is Jesus going to pick for his movement? Who is Jesus going to pick for his team? And and like middle school kickball is always the tallest, strongest, fastest guy who got picked first. And you kind of work your way down a pecking order. And I was always in the lower third. And yes, I have issues that I'm still working out with this. But but we assume, uh, we assume that Jesus wants the people that we would pick first. He wants the smart people. He wants the successful people. Uh, He wants the people uh, who, who have lots of education or lots of money, or, or, or a really nice, cute-looking family where, where nothing is wrong. Right? Those are the kind of people that he wants. And, and, and sure, he'll maybe take me because like, he's gracious and loving, but, but if he really had a choice, he'd pick them, not me. This is what we do in our mind with Jesus. We assume that he wants successful people, and then we just list all of the things that are wrong with us, all the failures that we have, and we assume, that, like, yeah, Jesus wants me in church, but he doesn't want to use me in the mission. He doesn't want to use me to make his name known. He doesn't want to use me because I failed too much. Because that's what Peter believed. That's what we believe. And so we feel the weight and the guilt of this. And, and, and we say, Jesus can never use me because I struggle too much. But failure does not disqualify you from following Jesus. And your success does not qualify you to follow Jesus. So what does? What qualifies you to follow Jesus? What question does Jesus ask? He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? He doesn't say, Peter, let's talk about how you failed. Do you, re- do you know how you failed? He doesn't say, Peter, let's talk about your, your theology. Let's make sure we got it all tight and, and neat, and then you can follow me. What does he say? Do you love me? You see, when Jesus is picking his team, 
He doesn't, he's not looking for success or strength or, or intelligence or money. What is he looking for? He's looking for people who love him. And what does it mean to love Jesus? How do we, how do we love Jesus? How do, you, how do you get on that team then? See, John, who is in this scene, he would later write this, that we love because he first loved us. That our love for Jesus comes in a response to knowing what he did for us. That we don't generate this love on our own, like somehow I have to feel like nice and warm and fuzzy about Jesus, but our love comes in response to understanding who he is and what he did for us. You see, that's why this moment changed Peter's life forever. This moment changed the trajectory of his life. He was sitting on the bench, and after this moment, he stands up, and his life is transformed. He is made alive to be a new kind of leader and a new kind of preacher, one who's not all about success or looking really good, but about one who's about following Jesus. You see, he would write about this in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he would go on to plant churches and, and lead the movement of Jesus, and he would write some letters to the churches. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, here's what he said. This is how he, how he came to know the love of Jesus so he could answer, Peter, do you love me? Yes, this is why. He says this in, in chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called. This is the love that is drawing you in. This is the love that you are being invited into because Christ also suffered for you. His love sent you, sent him to this place of suffering, leaving you as an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You can almost imagine that Peter is is in his imagination. He's putting himself back in that room where he denied Jesus because he saw Jesus suffering. He saw Jesus' trial, and he's saying, this is the love that I saw him demonstrate. The moment that I was denying him, this is what he was doing for me. He was suffering for me. And so verse 24, what does he say? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, what Peter realized here is this, that his failures, Jesus bore on his shoulders on the cross. That his mistakes, Jesus carried on the cross. That the shame that he carried because of his failure, because of his mistakes, Jesus bore on his own shoulders and died so that he might be healed. You see, when Jesus comes to Peter and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He's, he's inviting Peter into the space where, yes, he recognizes that he failed and he made a mistake, but he knows that the love of Jesus took care of that failure. And so it's Jesus' love for Peter that qualifies him to follow Jesus. Nothing that Peter did or didn't do, nothing that he succeeded at or failed at allowed him to follow Jesus, only this love. And in response to this love, we love Jesus. See, what is Jesus asking of you this morning? He's not asking you to have everything figured out. He's not asking you to never make a mistake or, or never blow it. He's asking simply, do you love me? And how do you know that you love Jesus? How, how do we know that we love Jesus? Each time Peter says, yes, I love you, what does Jesus say? Tend my sheep. Take care of my people. Love the people that are around you. 
See, this is what Jesus calls Peter to. This is how you know that you love Jesus, is you love people sacrificially. You love people in simple and yet profound kinds of ways. And maybe that never gets noticed. Maybe no one tweets about it or posts about it online. Maybe it never goes viral. But Jesus cares about this because this is how he's loved us with this sacrificial love. And so, so if you love Jesus, what will you do? You will express that by loving other people. So do you love Jesus? Do you know him and do you love him? Because if you do, you will love other people. And so the question is, like, like Wingfoot Church, like, who would we pick on our team? Right? Like, like if we're going to follow Jesus, what are the things that we're looking for for people that we want to be in our community, right? Like, like if Jesus is going to form this community of people who love him, then the question that we should be asking is, is do you love Jesus? And if you love Jesus, right, then Jesus qualifies you. Then you are welcome into the space to find and follow Jesus together and to love others in this kind of way. Right? Do you love him? That's what Jesus cares about. But here's the thing, though. Like, if, if that is true, like, verse 18, uh, when Jesus says this, Peter, here's where you're going. Here's, here's the new trajectory of your life. What does he say? He says, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. And how many of us would say yes to that? How many of us would say, okay, Jesus, you just laid out the trajectory of my life, and it's not a trajectory that's going to look like success by the standards of the world. It's not a trajectory that's going to even look or sound comfortable, but instead it's a trajectory of following you into humble, sacrificial love and service to people. You see, this is what success looks like in the kingdom of Jesus. This is what it looks like to follow him. Because you see, if, if the greatest success of Jesus looked like the apparent failure of the cross, right? the cross looked like foolishness and a failure to everyone who looked on. They couldn't understand it, they couldn't calculate it. But if that was the greatest success of Jesus, he won victory over sin, death, and the grave for us, then what success and failure looked like in the kingdom of Jesus had to be totally reoriented around that. That success in the way of Jesus isn't a bigger audience uh, or, or having everything figured out, but success in the way of Jesus looks like laying down your life for other people, loving and sacrificing for others. This is what it looks like to be a leader in Jesus' kingdom. This is what it looks like to follow him. Do you love him? If you do, you will love other people. I want to end this morning with a quote from, uh, from a book that's been really challenging me the past couple weeks. Uh, talking about this very thing. Uh, it's called In the Name of Jesus by a guy named Henry, Henry Now, and he, he talks about what Jesus calls Peter to in this. Uh, this is what he calls us to. So he says this, the world says, this is the world around us, when you were young, you were dependent and could not go where you wanted. But when you grow old, you will be able to make your own decisions, go your own way and control your own destiny. And that's what we think, right? That success means I have more pull and more power and more independence and more financial freedom. Uh, but what he's saying is this, but Jesus has a different vision of maturity. He has a different vision for your life, for what success looks like for you. It is the ability and willingness to be led where you would rather not go. Immediately after Peter had been commissioned to be a leader of his sheep, 
Jesus confronts him with the hard truth that the servant leader is the leader who is being led to unknown, undesirable, and painful places. The way of the Christian leader is not the way of upward mobility, in which our world has invested so much, but the way of downward mobility ending in the cross. That was Jesus' success. So whatever your failure is that you think keeps you from knowing him, keeps you from following him, keeps you from being part of his mission, Jesus took care of that on the cross. And all he asks of you is that you would love him and to love him by loving others. This is our calling. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you can take Peter, a guy who failed and failed spectacularly, publicly, who's on the bench in shame, that you could meet him and invite him to be made alive by your forgiveness and by your grace. God, I don't know the failures in this room, maybe past failures, present failures. I know there's going to be future failures. God, would you meet people in that space and say, Jesus bore the weight of that. He bore the weight of our mistakes and our failures so that we could be made alive and we could follow him. God, will we be a place where the question that we ask is not uh, how good do you look, how smart are you, how strong are you, but do you love Jesus? And in doing so, that we would serve and love others like you served and loved us. We pray all this in the name of the risen Jesus. Amen.